Hello, folks. Welcome back. Podcast number 44. Podcast number 44 of the On Being Christian podcast is upon us, and I have learned a lot in doing all of these. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'll be your host. I'm also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and it is a great pleasure of Wasatch Front Baptist Church to provide for these podcasts, the platform of them and the content of them. Hope you're having a wonderful day. It is absolutely beautiful here in Salt Lake City. It's uh, not a cloud in the sky. It's got that lighter blue side because of the pretty heavy snow that we have already received and the snow that's in the mountains, but it's just uh, very crisp. It's one of those days where you want to open up all the windows and then that very crisp, clean, fresh smell that comes in, you want to figure out how, how somehow to bottle that and keep that in the house all winter long. As winter gets started so many times, it's such a refreshing feeling. It's so much anticipation because you have the holidays and you have times with family and you have the gifts and the children's faces that you're looking forward to. And there's all of that. And then when the holidays and you know Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and family and all of that gets over, you're kind of left with the doldrums of the cold of winter, the days of January and February. And, um, and if I could figure out how to keep a day like this in my house, the freshness of it, the smell of it, I would certainly appreciate that. Anyway, that's just my personal opinion. Um, <clears throat> so happy you joined. Uh, you, you decided to join us. I'd like to share some thoughts with you today. Um, pretty common concept from the Word of God, but sometimes it's it's pitched a little different. When it has been said that truth demands responsibility, truth demands an answer. You can't hear the truth and then pretend like you didn't hear it. Um, it will cause some kind of action, whether it's the acceptance of it or the rejection of it. That is in itself action. And so whenever you're faced with the truth, you have to choose to either apply it to your life, live in the objective reality of existence, live in the truth, or you can try to lie. Lie to yourself, lie to others lie about yourself, create a false narrative, a pretend world, if you will, to live in it. Here's the thing I want you to understand as we get into our text, and we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians this morning, chapter 2. Those who choose to live this life in the truth are usually very comfortable and accomplished and accepting of reality, no matter whether it's good or bad as defined by them. It's just the reality, you got to deal with it, that's where you got to live. Those who choose to live by lies, those who choose to not live in the truth, usually just the rejection of truth is not enough to make them feel okay about the lies they've chosen to live in. Usually they reject the people who accept the truth as well. Um, and you've heard the phrase, misery loves company. So let's just get into this a little bit. The title of this is very simple, Receiving God's Word versus Rejecting God's Word. Receiving God's word versus rejecting God's word. First Thessalonians chapter two, I'll read from verse 13 down through the end of the chapter. The Bible says, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as, in tr as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. 
For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved." to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us for what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, for ye are our glory and joy. This is the section of scripture right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that I'd like to take the content of receiving God's word versus rejecting it out of just as an opening introduction and thought. What we <clears throat> excuse me, what we will see here in these verses I just read is a very clear difference between it and what it looks like to receive God's word and what it looks like to reject God's word. And how it affects, how the receiving or the rejection of God's word affects the speaker and the hearer of God's word. Let's just get right into it, if you will. The very first point I want to look at is the point concerning the receiving of God's word. The receiving of God's word. Chapter 2 of Second, Th- excuse me, of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13 through just the very first part of verse 14 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. And when he says we, if you back up to verse 1, that tells you who the we is of chapter 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. So these were men of God, and this church is written to the church at Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. He said, for this cause we thank we God without ceasing. And here's why they thanked God. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. Let's define some terms here so that we're all kind of on the same sheet of music. The word received here means to bring near, to associate with oneself, to take in and to learn from. It's to assume an office, the takeaway of a thing. And then you find the word effectually worketh. It's actually one Greek word there, which means to be active, to be mighty, to work and to be fervent. Notice here that the effect of receiving God's word is that it works in us a believing, us who are believing, which leads to action, specifically following Christ. So if I back this up, you see these men saying, this is why we thank God. And the reason they thank God is because the people that they were going to give account for received the word of God, but look how they received it says, ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. When I receive the word of God as the word of God, it goes on to tell me what happens. It effectually, 
It is in truth the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. And so when I receive the word of God, as it is the word of God, it effectually works in me. And I want you to notice the result of what effectually, the, the word of God effectually working in you causes. Verse 14 says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. So we see very clearly, when I receive the word of God as it is in truth, the word of God, not the word of men, when I receive it that way, when I pull it into myself, when I associate it with myself, when I assume the office of the occupation of the word of God, and I believe it, it effectually works in me. It works mightily in me. It's fervent. It's active. And the inevitable result of the word of God working in your heart is that you will become a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't mean to oversimplify this, but I don't want to allow for this to be overcomplicated needlessly. Folks, if we take the word of God and we apply it to our hearts as it is in truth, the word of God, the inevitable result is that it will work effectually in my life. And on a long enough timeline, the word of God being received as it is in truth, the word of God and not the word of men, will effectually cause me to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It produces the action of obedience in me. It's just math. This is the way it works. If I receive it, I'll get into what it looks like to reject it in just a minute. But if I receive it, it will effectually work in me. And the word of God effectually working in me will cause me to be a follower of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. That's exactly what the Bible says. Let's look at some other verses on this just so that we understand this is a content, or this is a, a fact from the Bible. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And then look at what happens when the word of God dwells in me richly. Wisdom is a, a result of that. A joyful heart is a result of that. Songs and hymns, the Bible says spiritual songs, grace is a result of that. And so receiving the word of God means letting the word of God, as it is in truth, the word of God, dwell in me richly. Richly. This should be the thing that dwells in me at a greater level than anything else. If I go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And we will read, let me get over there. We'll read verse 31 through verse 32. The Bible says here, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Boy, that 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 32nd verse there, Psalm, uh, John chapter 8, verse 32 that's one that everyone knows. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But the content, or the context, excuse me, of knowing the truth and thereby letting the truth make you free is dependent on me 
doing what verse 31 says, continuing in the word of God, because it's in the continuance of the word of God that ye are his disciples indeed. You see, this this podcast is called On Being Christian, and the reason that it's called that is because Christian in today's society has become uh, a noun, like I, I claim it and then define it however I want to define it, but that's not actually what it is. Christianity is a verb. It's how you conduct your life. If I follow the Word of God, if I let the Word of God dwell in me richly, if I receive the Word of God as it is in truth the Word of God and not the Word of men, then I become a follower of Jesus Christ. To be a follower is dependent on receiving the Word of God. I can't follow God if I don't receive the Word of God. I know that that seems a little bit deep as well as maybe a little bit simple, but it's pretty factual, whichever way you want to slice it. If I don't know what the Bible says on any given particular subject that I might be facing in life, then how am I going to follow the God of the Bible if I don't know what the word of the God of the Bible says? So I have to let it dwell in me richly. I have to receive it as it is in truth, the word of God and not the word of men. I have to let it dwell in me richly. I have to follow it so that I can become a disciple of God. If I go to James, James chapter 1, and I'll go down to verse 21 through 25. The Bible says here, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if ye be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty that's the Bible, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Boy, there's a lot in those verses. Let's just start with how it says to receive. It says, and receive, receive. That means I bring it into me, I associate it with myself, I apply it to my actions with meekness. So I receive the God with the Word of God with meekness, the engrafted Word, which is able to save your souls. And then it it defines what receiving with meekness the engrafted Word looks like. It says, "But be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves." In other words, if I just know what the Bible says, and usually people who don't do what the Bible says just think they know what the Bible says. That's a different issue. But when I think I know what the Bible says, but I don't do any of it, I'm deceiving myself. It's not until I do what the Bible says that I can be called a disciple of God. It's not until I obey the doctrine of the Word of God that I can call myself a Christian. If I call myself a Christian and I don't know what the Bible says about any particular issue that I might face in life, then how much of a Christian am I really? Who am I following? Am I following Christ, or am I following what I have decided I want Christ to be? Which, in other words, is just you making yourself the God of your own life. Verse 23 says, But if ye be a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
That person, you, he, is likened to a man beholding his natural face in the glass, for he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. And so, yep, it's great to be in church on Sunday and Wednesday night, but if I'm not doing anything that I'm hearing on Sunday and Wednesday night, if you go to church on on Wednesday night or Thursday night, whenever your midweek service is, if I'm not doing any of that, then I'm going away and I'm straightway forgetting what I was supposed to do. Because I'm just a hearer. I'm not a doer. Verse 25 says, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth, there's the catchphrase, continueth therein, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What man is blessed? The one who not just hears, but does but does. Receiving the Word of God means obeying the Word of God, not just hearing it. Receiving the Word of God as it is in truth, the Bible says, the Word of God means applying it to your life in the way the Bible says to, not just in the way I subjectively have decided it's the most beneficial to my life. If I go to 2 Timothy in chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing. Means I've given myself over to the word of God in such a way that I can distinguish it and apply it to the avenues and approaches and aspects of my life. And by the way, the Bible says that this is approved which would lead me to think that the opposite of that, the opposite of rightly dividing, is not approved. If I go to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 16, the Bible says here, it says, uh, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, holding forth the word of God. The Bible says the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my feet my path in Psalms. I'm, I'm going to hold the Word of God out in front of me. I'm going to make my decisions based on the Word of God. I'm going to live my life based off the fact of obeying the commandments of the Word of God. I'm going to obey the doctrine of the Word of God. I'm going to make my decisions based off the understanding and the action I have from God. Folks, this is what receiving the Word of God looks like. Anything short of that is just fanboy status. And boy, that's what a lot of what our churches have turned into is just people deciding this is how this best works for us. This is how this best works for our needs, as if we are the definers and defenders of the truth and not God himself. It's a sad day when we have decided that things of eternity can be rendered uh, into whatever category we place them in because we've decided it's more beneficial to us. Folks, that's not receiving the Word of God. Receiving the Word of God as we read, the Bible says, as it is the Word of God, as it is in truth the Word of God, means I apply it to my life. I do it. I'm a doer, not just a hearer only. I have to apply these things. I can't call myself a Christian if I don't know what the Bible says about the things that I choose to do, because being a Christian is directly linked, directly relevant to knowing what God says about what a man and woman should do facing the issues of life. Let's look at the second point, which is the rejection of God's word. The rejection of God's word. That's found in our text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll read the back part of verse 14 down through verse 16. It says, For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus 
and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins all way, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Sad verse here. People, I want you to notice this, folks, people who reject the truth have a hard time not getting mad at the truth. People who reject the word of God have a hard time accepting people who accept the word of God in their life. They reject the word of God. Most often they reject the people who themselves accept God's word in their life. Christians are sometimes lonely people because people don't like to be reminded that they rejected God. The rejection of the word of God, the Bible says, uh, that this leads to, if I back it up, verse uh, 14, back part of verse 14, for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Suffered here is a word that means to experience passion negatively. Who's causing the suffering? Well, those who rejected the word of God are causing the suffering. Verse 15 says, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. The word persecuted means to pursue and expel, to persecute. It means to, I'm, I'm going to chase you. It's, it's, it's not enough that I reject the word of God. I'm going to hunt down those who accept it and make their life miserable as well. Persecute. It goes on to say, verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles. Forbidding is a word that means to, uh, to hinder or to keep from uh, something that's rightful, to, to, to withhold, withstand, to hinder something. And so most of the time, folks, we're throughout the Bible, you're going to see that folks that reject God's word, most of the time it's not enough for them to just reject God's word. They also attack God's word or even those who bring God's word to them to keep others from receiving God's word. Story as old as time, really. Folks who accept God's word, as it is in truth the word of God, it effectually works in them and they become followers of God. Folks that reject God's word, reject that which effectually works in them, and it's never enough to just reject. They also have to end up usually hating God's word, hating the people who accept God's word. It's just history repeats itself. If you're not learning from it, it's uh, doomed to repeat it. If I, if I go to Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 4, the Bible says, so they, so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone up through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was the deputy which was the deputy of the country, Sergius Pilus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Interesting. But Elimaeus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. I want you to understand this is before Saul was known as Paul. Barnabas is training him, and so the Bible refers later on. And in fact, because of this event, the Bible says Saul, who is sometimes called Paul, set his eyes upon them. And from this event onward, you see Barnabas is mentioned second. Then it's Paul and Barnabas, not Barnabas and Saul. Okay, But in this event, Barnabas is kind of the lead, 
And you have this man who comes up and he specifically tries to keep Barnabas and Saul from witnessing to another man. Why? Because it wasn't enough for the sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, Elimaeus is his name. It wasn't enough for him to reject God's word. He didn't want anyone to hear God's word. He became actively hateful and, and antagonistic and combative towards those who brought God's word. That's the inevitable end of the rejection of God's word. If I go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me jump up here, 2 Timothy and chapter 3. If I read the first eight verses of chapter 3, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. And so the Bible says, what are these perilous times look like, they look like people withstanding or combatively going against the word of God, not just rejecting it for themselves, but combatively trying to keep other people from hearing the word of God as well. Because when men reject the truth, they have to justify it some way. And usually they do that by becoming angry at the truth and combative towards the truth which inevitably leads to them becoming angry and combative towards those who speak and live the truth, because this is what the rejection of God looks like. When those people who are given over to the natural affections, truth breakers, false accusers, all these things the Bible lays out, he says in verse 5, having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, hearing the word as we read back in the first point, but not being a doer of it. You see that directly related here. We look the part, but boy, we don't walk it. We all like to go to church. We'd like to put our, our double Windsors and our half Windsor knots and polish our shoes and wear our dresses. We like to look the part, the righteous Christian, the clean person, the better than thou art person looking down our long righteous noses at all the filth of the world. We really like to look the part, but in evident, in evident reality, we don't really like to live it. We can polish ourselves up real clean for Sunday. We can put the little stickers in the back of our cars that say we're a Christian. We can look the part. But when it comes to living it, to actually making our decisions from the power of the Word of God, from the doctrine of the Word of God, we've rejected that. Those who reject that will reject those who live by it because they can't live around truth without it being confronting and convicting. Hmm. If I jump over to Acts, Acts and chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, I'll start in verse 23, and we see a story here. It runs all the way down to verse 41. It's, it's about the confusion created by anger because of the rejection of God's word. 
It's just a violent, real forceful story of the acceptance of self over all else, even God's word. If I start Acts chapter 19, if I start in verse 23, the Bible says, "...in the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for a day, and brought no small gain unto the craftsmen." whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but also throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger, to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom also Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they had heard this saying, they were full of wrath, and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Articus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered into the uh, into in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. That's the second time you see that word. And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude and the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with his hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when he knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. They shouted him down. Verse 35, And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is the worshiper of the great goddess Diana, and of the image which fell down from Jupiter. Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly, for ye have brought hither this man, which are these men, which are neither robbers of churches or yet blasphemers of our goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies, let them implead one another." But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called into question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. I want you to notice here, folks, this is quite a long story. Thanks for hanging in there with me. But you have this man who's a silversmith. Paul is going around preaching that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he's the Savior of the world and that he can forgive you of your sins because he paid the price for sins. And this silversmith gets upset. He says to the other silversmiths, the union, if you will, he says, listen, this is our God, Diana, the goddess And uh, this guy going around preaching Jesus Christ is God is doing two things. Number one, um, we're all very rich because of this goddess. We make temples to her and our silver uh, is overlaid on her images. And so we all have our wealth because of this false god. And this guy's calling into question our existence 
And then he creates an uproar, uh, a legal kind of tumult, a riot almost, if you will. Why? Because someone came and preached the truth. It wasn't enough for him to say, I don't believe it. But if others believed it, he would have lost his wealth. And so the rejection of the word of God pushed him to try to create as much confusion as possible. The Bible says within that group of people, there was more there who didn't even know why they were there than there were that knew. You have one man who got so mad at the truth that he created an uproar, a riot, if you will. Over what? Over the fact that he was losing money. One man preaching the truth caused him to lose money, and he wasn't going to have it. And so the rejection of God's word led him to try to create as much rejection as possible. He wanted everyone to be on his side because that's where he got rich. Sound familiar? American politics today could learn something from that story. And so number one, you've got the receiving of God's word as it is in truth, the word of God and not the word of man that works effectually in us. It causes us to become followers of Christ. And then you have the rejection of God's word that leads to us rejecting not only God's word, but becoming mad at the truth and rejecting other people who have accepted God's word. This is why Christianity in and of itself, the most persecuted religion that has ever existed because people hate the truth. They hate it. And they'll reject the people who accept it. It's not enough to reject the truth. They have to, they have to reject the other people too. The third and final point from our text in chapter 2 of second, or 1 Thessalonians, excuse me, verse 17 through 20, we learn the third thing. There's a bond created between those who speak and those who hear God's word. He says, verse 17, but we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, and then look at this, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory enjoy in heart endeavoring the more abundantly the bible says to see your face with great desire our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing ye are our glory and joy the desire of god's people folks is god's people god's word it's that, that's how simple that is when people preach the word of god and the word of god being preached is received as it is in truth the word of god there's a bond created there between the people who speak God's word and the people who live it. And by the way, when you live God's word effectively as the Bible commands you to, that living of God's word is the speaking of it more effectively than it could ever be preached. The life lived for the cause of Christ is a more effective testimony for the cause of Christ than any preacher could ever get behind a pulpit and a microphone and scream his head off. A life lived simply by the doctrine of the Word of God is more effective than any message has ever been. And there's a bond created between the people that hear the Word of God and the people that live it. A bond that says, uh, in verse uh, 17, he says, In heart we endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. The desire of the people that speak God's Word is to see the face of the people that live God's word. 
The desire of the people that live God's word is to see the face of the people that speak God's word and vice versa. The desire of God's people is God's people. The desire of God's people is God's word. Very simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 8. The Bible says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. So there's some pretty particular issues being dealt with here at the church at Corinth. Verse 2, And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I want you to understand something. The desire of God's people, the bond created between those who hear God's word and live God's word doesn't lessen in the face of temptation and sin. God's people desire for correction as well. Just because someone falls into sin doesn't mean God's people dismiss that person. God's people reach out because God's word reaches out to those who need to accept Christ and repent. Just because, folks, <laughs> Paul said, I die daily. I don't ever have to get saved more than once. Jesus Christ saves me and I'm saved forever. But as long as I'm a human, a fallen man in a fallen world, I'm going to have to understand that daily I will have to humble myself. Daily I will have to confront this human nature. Daily I will need the Word of God to confront me. And how is the Word of God going to confront me? Sometimes it's going to be through a man who loves me and says, Hey, knucklehead. You're going against the Bible, and you're wrong. And the desire of God's people isn't to defend themselves against that, but to accept it as it is in truth, the word of God, not the word of men, to repent of our sins and go to God boldly and say, Lord, please help me. Please forgive me and please help me. And so you see in the Bible, the desire of God's people is for correction as well as for comfort. If I jump over to Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, first five verses, the Bible says, For I would that ye know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And in this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. What a wonderful section of Scripture. Paul says to them, I so desire to see you, but more than that, I desire that you be steadfast, the Bible says, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The desire of God's people is not apart from the truth 
in any way. God's people desire the correction of God's word. They desire the correction of God's word of God's people just as much as the fellowship of God's people. And so we have a very clear picture that has developed. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13 through 20, we see that there's a difference between the receiving of God's word and the rejecting of God's word. If I receive God's word, as the Bible says, as it is in truth the word of God, it effectually works in me. And that which effectually works in me when I believe will cause me to be a follower of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. It will cause action in my life. Once I'm confronted with the truth, I have to choose to accept it or deny it. And if I confront it, or excuse me, when I am confronted with the truth and I accept it, when I receive the word of God and I let it effectually work in me, it makes me a a doer, not just a hearer. It makes me a practicer, not just a knower. It puts me to work. It makes it personal to me. When I do that, that's proper receiving of God's word. It causes me to be a follower, a Christian. Uh, Colossians 3 says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. John 8, we said, the Bible says, continue in my word. Uh, James says, receive the engrafted word. 2 Timothy talks about rightly dividing the word of truth. And Philippians 2 talks about holding forth the word of life. Folks, I have to let the word of God dwell in me richly. I have to make all my decisions from the perspective of the word of God. I can't know what to do as a Christian if I don't know what God told me to do. It's not about me. It's not about my subjective opinions and how I best think that I should live life. Christians are people who live life in the pursuit of the doctrine of the Word of God, as the Bible says they receive the Word of God, they do it, they don't just know it. They practice it, they don't just hear it. That's a big difference. That would would eradicate such a large portion of Christianity today. Just understanding the difference between those who do what the Word of God says and those who know it but try to change it to fit their narrative. So number one, receiving the Word of God. Number two, Rejecting the Word of God is a tragic tale. It leads to a real combative approach towards truth, almost a hatred towards truth. I can't reject the Word of God and then hold myself close to those who practice the Word of God because it's those people who bring conviction in my life, and I have to get away from the conviction of the Word of God, so I have to get away from the people that bring it. If they're just doing nothing more than living the Christian life, someone who has rejected the Word of God will absolutely hate someone who's living by the doctrine of the Word of God. (laughs) It's a sad story, but it's true. We saw this in Acts 13 with the sorcerer. We talked about it from 2 Timothy chapter 3 with the perilous times. And we talked about it from Acts 19 where the silversmith was losing his wealth because someone was preaching about God, and he created a riot in the city just to try to get his way. Again, that reminds me of our political situation today. One party in American politics is prone to throwing some pretty good adult temper tantrums. We call them fits, riots, when they don't get their way because they reject the truth. And then finally, the bond of the Word of God between those who hear it and speak it It's immovable, it's strong, it's powerful. 
So as Paul said in heart, endeavoring the more abundantly to see your face with great desire, the desire of God's people is the word of God. The desire of word of God in God's people is other people of God. The, the, the connection and the bond there is very strong. And then Colossians 2 says, though I be absent in the flesh, I am with you in the spirit. The desire of God's people is always to live according to the word of God. And when people live according to the word of God, they desire other people around them that are living according to the word of God. That's the way it works. Folks, I hope this has been helpful to you. The difference between receiving God's word and rejecting it, it's a powerful thought. I'd pray that you to uh, attach it to your life, not just make it something that you hear, but rather something that you do. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, one of the easiest ways to do that is to make every morning devoted to the Lord. Give it to him and let him start your day. Some time spent in the Bible. The most important way to do that is to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and then join a biblically sound Bible-preaching church and to let that be the authority over your life. You say, well, I don't do any of those things. Well, then, my friend, according to the Bible... What kind of Christianity have you accepted? Lord, as we dismiss, I pray that you would go with us as we endeavor to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. Talk to you next time.